Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. It is my great pleasure today to welcome Anita Abzi to the show. Welcome, Anita. Thank you, Jeremy. Great having you. Uh, Anita is the Chief Revenue Officer at LRN, and they are a platform that provides ethics and compliance content to help employees do the right thing, uh, which is probably more important than ever since all, all the data that used to all be super protected inside the corporate walls is now more or less 100% distributed. We're not going to talk too much about that. We're really going to talk a, a little bit about Anita's path to from individual contributor CRO. We'll also talk a little bit about things that you do to motivate employees during the coronavirus epidemic. Quota relief will probably go all over the place. So I think we're going to have a, a really fun and spirited conversation. Anita, I'm going to start out the same way I start out every podcast because I'm a humongous book nerd. I'm staring at my Kindle and a big stack of books next to me right now, in fact. And I'm just wondering, what was one of the books that had a more profound impact on your life and career? Uh, One book that had a profound impact early in my career, but I value it less so now, was Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. I appreciated the independent character and the need to self-motivate and self-perform. But as I have gotten older, it does not appeal to me as much because I find that it lacks heart and soul and empathy, which I think are critical in any successful uh, salesperson. And another one, and this was this is going back to college days, believe it or not, was Grapes of Wrath, because it inspired me to realize how resilient people can be in a time of incredible crisis. I love that you chose those two books, because uh, almost everybody answers with nonfiction. And I love that you answered fiction, because I have a strong interest there. And you, in fact, mentioned two books that had a profound impact on me as well. So on The Grapes of Wrath in particular, maybe it's cliche, but I probably would have been diagnosed as ADHD, as calm as I am as an adult. And I did not read my first book cover to cover until I was in 10th grade. So until I guess I was 15 years old. The very first book I ever read cover to cover in my life was Grapes of Wrath. So I, I love that you mentioned that one. Then Atlas Shrugged came not too soon after. So it was in my late teenage years that I read Atlas Shrugged. And I, I can relate, like at the time, that sort of sense of individuality and independence is so strong. You know, Before we go through a little bit of your career, I'd love to just talk briefly about the empathy that leaders need to show their employees right now who are working remotely. So what are some of the things that you've done practically to keep your workforce motivated as they're now working from home? Certainly, I think um, if you're going to be a good salesperson, you always have to lead with empathy and show an interest and understanding about someone else's problem or challenges so that you can be helpful. In this particular case, though, it takes on even a much more personal tone. So we've been uh, working diligently to be sure we have constant communication on an individual level and as a company. Every conversation that begins, be it a team meeting, be it uh, to solve a problem, be it with a a customer, uh, there's always a question where you're not just asking how someone's doing, but asking how they're coping. Is there anything we can do to help you? Um, is there a story you'd like to tell that was inspiring to you yesterday? Just to try to make it very human in a way that perhaps we may have intended but not have deliberately done before. Communication is really critical. Helping people understand that they can be struggling managing their personal lives, potential children at home, aging parents, plus a workload. So we try to be understanding and aware of the new world that we're in and to try to create an environment of confidence within the organization. And as a company, we have an all hands meeting every week where we invite our colleagues from around the world to share their stories about how the virus is affecting them, uh, how it is affecting their work lives and their personal lives. And that creates a real bond among people that makes them just, again, feel safe 
and uh, gives them a little room to figure out how to work well in this environment. And also, I think importantly, we're encouraging our team to be very empathetic when they're reaching out to customers and prospects. This is not an easy time to look for a new business, but if you are relevant and empathetic and can offer a solution that can help someone in better times, I think that we've been leaning into that as well. We have a lot of employees who are either expecting or have very, very young ones at home. The same thing over at LRN. Are there any special accommodations that you're making or things that you're doing to help people with very little ones? Yes, very much so. First of all, we're welcoming them into all of our Zoom calls. I've gotten to see people's children and dogs and such, so that's kind of heartwarming. But more specifically, we actually have a How We Can Help site that has all kinds of links to offering mental health wellness programs. We have a Slack channel set up specifically for working parents, as well as a call so that they can get on the phone and share the challenges that they're experiencing, also uh, offer tips and suggestions to help one another out. Many of our communications have simply been reaching out to our customers and our prospects uh, to check in on them and to let them know if we do have resources that we've created and we have shared content freely, which has often been well appreciated. And we're just, again, trying to be available without any kind of hard sale or anything that in any way suggests we're trying to sell something. Let them know that we are here. And we've actually had some very fruitful conversations. And in this time, some of our customers need to have more employees being trained from home. And we're accommodating that without increasing prices. If a customer needs payment relief or something based on the industry, we're trying to be very sympathetic uh, because, you know, we believe what you do now is really, really important and it will affect how people and uh, how you do going forward. There's also the concept of relief for salespeople, right? That people signed up for quotas with the beginning of whatever your fiscal year happened to be. And, you know, the ability to achieve those quotas is probably under extreme threat. What are some of the things you're evaluating as options to provide relief to salespeople? One of the things we're not going to do is across the board, for example, 20% quota relief for everyone, right? That doesn't necessarily seem prudent. But what we're trying to do is to be very specific based on what someone's vertical segment is or what territory they might have. So, so for example, we don't have anyone selling into Italy, but if we did, certainly that person would require probably more relief than someone that's selling in a part of the world that's been less affected. What do you think about scenarios for back to work, return to normal, see in some ways, what are the different scenarios that you're evaluating? Yeah, well, first of all, we're going to be extremely cautious. We were talking this morning on our all-hands meeting of you know, commuting into Grand Central Station and getting on the subway and getting into a crowded elevator and then going into an office where uh, we have open space and people are sitting next to one another. So certainly we're not going to go back until we have the all clear from those in authority. The most important thing is to preserve the health of our employee base and of course the, the community at large. We also respect people's individual needs. If they're fearful in any way of uh, returning to the office anytime soon, or even in the fall, um, we will give people the opportunity to continue to work from home. We know we will have to make big changes in our physical structure uh, and how we interact with one another. And we'll certainly look towards other companies as they return to work and try to adopt best practices accordingly. Well, I'd love to switch gears a little bit and talk about your own progression uh, through your career and learn some of the things that you learned along the way. So maybe we wind the clock way, way back. I noticed that you went basically directly into sales out of college. Was that premeditated? Did you have parents who were in sales or was that just opportunistic for you? 
it was in the early days, mostly accidental, literally having a drink with a friend of a friend who was looking to hire a salesperson. And I noted that I had no experience and he assured me that they could provide the training from a sales and product perspective. So I was very fortunate early on. And and this is in reflection. I, I don't know that I was particularly deliberate early on, but what I've learned is I really like helping people solve problems. I like providing solutions. I like helping others out. So maybe it seems more altruistic because I also enjoy the incentive and the race and the competition. So that's part of my personality as well. Um, I've learned, again, as an independent contributor, it's very important to have personal credibility, to establish trust, and again, empathy, so that your potential customer understands that they do actually have a partner and someone that cares about their business. So that's certainly a learning I had. And as my career evolved and I had the opportunity to first become, you know, regional sales manager and a VP of sales and global sales, I learned early on that my functional expertise was not important. What was important was making my team successful by working through them. And I recall my first role is from going sales to sales manager I was all over a rep about this is what I would include in your presentation and this is what I think is important and on and on. And that person said to me that I should trust that they had the same intention and the same will to win as as they did. Uh, And that was a good lesson for me was to give people the space to learn and experiment on their own and to provide support and resource and facilitation as a means of helping them be successful. So that was probably one of the best lessons I learned early on in my career. The mode that I see many, many sales managers operating in is that their team is almost the teeing up deals for them, and then they swoop in and help progress and close the sort of biggest and most complex deals. It it sounds like you're definitely falling into the realm of, hey, if you do that, you're never going to get these people to be as successful to realize their potential. That's exactly right. And I also always make sure that the salespeople know they have the flexibility and the authority to make decisions. So I really want to be sure that that person feels empowered, not in a reckless way, but in a very authoritative way to bring solutions to the table and have confidence that if they have ideas on do we need flexibility, increasing terms, what it might be, that I encourage that dialogue uh, and look for people to be inventive, in, especially in this market. What's your guidance to people on when they should stay, when they should leave? How should they think about that in terms of managing their career? That's a great question, Jeremy. I think that certainly to give something enough time to understand whether or not you can contribute and be successful and always stay with a place as long as you're feeling challenged and motivated and process of continuous learning. When that stops or you feel like yourself going stale, whether that's in a year and a half or 10 years, it's probably time to leave. It's sometimes a hazard to move too quickly because it calls into question your ability to make a commitment and learn from your mistakes and show good performance. You spent a whopping 15 years at Return Path. So what was it that motivated you, inspired you to stay so long there? There were a number of things that kept me there. I think I would classify it certainly as the people and the quality of the executive team in terms of our ability to collaborate and work together, both strategically and tactically. Another was the culture of the organization. So we put people at the center of the organization with the belief that if we could motivate and provide great career opportunities for our people, then they would happily be able to serve customers and prospects and that ultimately our investors would be rewarded. I had the opportunity to expand our sales and service organization on a global scale. So when I began there, I think we were a total of 40 people with offices in Boulder and New York City. And at the end of 15 years, we were in Paris and London and Germany, uh, Australia, and Brazil. And it was really fascinating 
to learn how to do business in, in countries outside the U.S. Were there some ideas that you have come across those things, disciplines you've worked in, in sales and service and obviously revenue functions, marketing functions? Are there some ideas that seemed wild ideas at the time, but actually turned out to be things that actually did scale well? Yes, very much so. And I think a lot of it had to do around um, there, there is a there is a potential hazard for being in a place so long, which may make you insular in your thinking. That's something you always have to caution against. And we had decided to make a somewhat radical change in pricing. Um, and we changed it to a user-based model. And it just, it seemed radical. It seemed potentially like we would have a downturn in, in bookings or revenue. And it actually turned out to be quite the opposite. So uh, if you make things easy for people to consume, which seems so obvious now, but seemed not so obvious then, um, you're easier to work with. And it actually uh, was an aha moment just to think outside in instead of inside out as a means of making decisions and bringing in new ideas to the organization. Yeah, I, I like that theme of making it easy. I think Apple, more than anyone else, is credited with the risky move of getting rid of the instruction manual. And that simplicity ethos has now found its way into product design in every domain, not just consumer product design. I also, I can relate on the radical pricing moves. That That is often the hardest thing for companies to change. One of the companies I worked for was like most companies, right? I mean, they would give first line sales executives a certain discounting authority, the next line at a little more, a little more, right? I mean, there's entire software platforms that are built around being able to facilitate that discounting approaches. But this company actually made the decision not only at one point to switch from a usage to user model, which now I think is pretty straightforward, but they also implemented a zero discounting model. So no one could discount, period. The price was the price. Have you ever sold a product that had a zero discounting policy? No, I, I never have. But as a leader, I have a couple of principles around discounting that I absolutely adhere to. And one is don't discount to get the business. That's not a way to develop a sense of value and impact and outcome for the prospect or customer. So I do not allow just to make a quarter, any end of quarter discounting. Holding that line and helping someone understand how you can solve the problem and the impact it will have on the business and the potential return is a much better way to communicate than it is to communicate and win deals just based on price. I think you also condition the market by your own discounting policies. You're your own worst enemy if you allow that behavior. I've also, I know there's been some studies that have been published on this. Like if you give AEs a 10% maximum discount, then they basically offer the deal at 10% to start, they like they concede it immediately. So you have to be really, really careful on how you manage the discounting policies. Agreed. You have worked over the course of your career ultimately to become a CRO. For those who are aspiring to, you know, where you have gotten, are there any kind of pieces of advice for people of how to get there? Act like you're doing the job you want to be in. So even if you're an individual salesperson, let's say, and you want to be a sales manager, Act like that. Offer support, offer help, be available, be communicative, offer your ideas. And I think to become a CRO, you have to be able to take a very strategic view of the business, but also deeply understand the dynamics of the business, what makes things work, and offer yourself up as that leader that has the vision to take an organization to a place where it's not yet been. That might be too theoretical, but that is the counsel I give people is if you want to manage your career for growth, manage yourself as if you're taking on those roles and exhibit behaviors that you think 
um, will be suitable. And then also importantly, ask others that you respect that are in the role for guidance. I would assume that there are certain types of functional expertise that apply in the role of the CRO. Are there any key skills that at first were daunting to you that you later were able to achieve a degree of mastery on after focusing on them? I think to be successful, uh, I don't know that I had to develop it much, but I really understood the importance of collaboration and listening to everybody in the room. I cannot be successful in my role unless I understand what it actually takes to get a product to market uh, and to be sure that we've got the customer's voice there. I can't be successful as a CRO leader in the organization unless I deeply understand the financial dynamics so I can understand how we should price and package our products. So I just think of a really deep understanding, not just of the world of customer success and selling, but how that is deeply integrated with finance, product, technology, and operations. Well, Anita, thank you for sharing a ton of wisdom uh, about collaboration, about what's going on in the world of motivating employees. We covered a lot of ground and some great book recommendations too. If people want to learn more about LRN or get in touch with you, what are the best ways to do that? Email address, which is anita.atsi at lrn.com. You can find me on LinkedIn and I'd be happy to uh, talk with anyone at any time. And I thank you, Jeremy, for your kind words and the opportunity to be with you today. Thank you so much. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.